to click record on this computer. Okay, it says recording, but I think there's a message. Maybe you have to allow it. No, I think it's good. Well, it just told me it's being recorded. Oh, perfect. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I like um was it maybe a month ago now? I felt just compelled to share more about what I've been through. Um, so much of it was in align with your story as well. And and then when you said the word raw, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so the podcast is called The Change with Him, big capital H, right? With with God in my life. And it's very yeah. real and raw. So it's, I mean, feel free to say whatever you want to say and not hold anything back and and then redeem. So I love the story of redemption and transformation and change. And um, so I, I usually talk about personal experiences in my story in the past, but when you shared yours, I just felt like, oh my gosh. And then you said the word raw. I'm like, oh, wow, it would be amazing to have my first guest on on to share their story, especially from a male's perspective. Cause I think a lot of times there's uh, like, I get comments on a lot of stuff. I work in the transformation industry, working with people's unconscious beliefs and transforming them from very limited mm-hmm jaded, damaging, negative towards themselves and others to transforming those. And then through my journey with that was open to, to letting God in my life. And then taking that experience of healing even further and even deeper to places where only he could go or we can't go ourselves. And I think a lot of times we try and do it a lot ourselves. And then we're met with a very fun reality that we can only go so far on our own. <laughs> so um yeah i if you want to share the same shame same story that you shared the other night at alpha or i know that you said that was kind of the the cliff notes version of it so feel free to to share mm-hmm. whatever you want to share it can be long it can be that same version and experience whatever you feel but i'm gonna not interrupt yeah. that you share your your testimony story. Oh, okay so you want me to share more just straight through or do like questions and I answer type of thing, or do you want to do both? Um, what I'll do is while you're sharing, if that's okay with you, you just share from your heart and then I'll write down questions that come to mind and I won't interrupt you unless I feel like, whoa, hold on, let's go more there. Um, mm-hmm. That way it's just in a good flow. And then I'll, I'll ask you questions after to get more, more um, information about it. If that works. Yep. That's fine. Cool. Right. Okay. Then on that, so I always like to start in prayer. So (laughs) quick prayer before we dive in. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you're the King of Kings and you are the author of this life. And I thank you, Lord, that you loved me before I was even created. And I pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be guiding me, my tongue and my heart, Lord, to sharing the testimony that you have authored inside me, uh, that my pain and my traumas and my hurts, Lord, could help somebody else who is currently lost in the darkness or who is newer to their faith than I am, Lord. And I just pray that you would guide my testimony today, that at least one person listening to it would be blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So anyways, so... I think for me, the starting point is always when I'm young and I start to discover sex, Mm -hmm. because that for me has been the enemy's number one Mm -hmm. uh, way that he gets into my life. 
so um i think i was about 11 when i discovered porn and i started watching that and then by 12 so by within a year um i had sex for the first time and i want to say i think i was seventh grade i believe it was like something around there it might have been sixth grade sixth or seventh grade and I just remember from then on, it just scaling up, you know, it just became more and more. And I built my life around it because I was the first out of my friends, but then, you know, the darkness doesn't want to be alone. So it starts huh. to pollute everybody around you. So then I kept trying to get my friends to hook up. And then eventually, you know, my whole friend group by probably 14, 15, all of us were having sex and, you know, entering in and out of relationships. And back then it seemed like such an adult thing to do but then looking back obviously a child which we were yeah. are, are just not ready for those type of engagements those type of serious choices you know uh, I always think in scripture it says that uh, a man and wife become one flesh and yeah. it talks about Jesus and if we have sex with a prostitute that we're actually binding a prostitute yeah. into the body of Christ so obviously there's a spiritual component of sex that's so important so I didn't know that back then. And yeah. I was just binding myself to all these different people from such a young age. And the reason or the way that that got into me was that for me growing up, both my parents worked a lot. So yeah. I was alone a great majority of the time. And to the point where my closest relationship was actually probably my grandfather, who I saw the most. And that was just, you know, he would hang out with me after school and stuff like that. But otherwise, I was just alone quite a bit. Yeah. So for me, I always felt love was something you had to earn. It's like uh, if you don't stand out and you're not shiny and you're not achieving, then you're not worthy of love. Love is conditional on success or on achievement. And then that kind of grew into, well, the best thing I can do for my parents is be low maintenance child, right? I can be invisible. I can be uh, seen and not heard. You know, they know I'm not dying, but at the same time, I'm not bugging them. I'm not bringing them problems. So that just left a hole in me because I didn't feel worthy of love. And I, at the same time, felt like I needed to earn the love if I wanted to have it. And then when I wasn't getting loved, when I thought I was doing things to earn it, then it made like this hole even deeper because it was love. Like it basically the lie the enemy told me was you're incapable. You're, you're, you're not lovable. Like nobody will ever love you no matter what you do, because you just don't deserve love. So that is what sex took an anchor in because early in my journey, when I started to have all these, the, the reason I got into all these sexual relationships was because um, I made the association that if a woman, well, at the time it was girls, if girls <laughs> had sex with me, then they loved me and it filled the hole, you know? So, yeah. so that, and porn was the same thing. Porn was just more of a daily, um, a daily fulfillment, you know? And honestly, multiple times a day. So I think probably, around that same age, maybe like 14, 15, by that point, I was having sex 
maybe not daily, but pretty close, you know, consistent sex. And then also I was watching porn daily uh, and multiple times a day. So just from that young age, I was already building this habit, you know, this um, filling the void with sex, filling the void with sex. And that to me was love. So if anything happened to me where let's say I, I had a failure, if I did bad on a test, if I lost a football game, if I, right, it could have been I lost a basketball game with my friends and that would trigger that, oh, I'm not worthy of love. And then the enemy would be like, oh, well, Alex, you know what you need to do to make to fill yourself with love, to get love. And it's like, oh yeah, I need to go watch porn or, oh yeah, I need to go have sex. Yeah. So that became like my driving motive. And then as anybody listening to this, any adult listening to this, I'm sure knows, is a sexual relationship at that age is going to crash and burn heavily. And when it crashes and burns, then what? Then it's left with even more damage, even bigger hole, uh, even bigger hurt. So the one that I'll talk about is my first love, or I call my first love. And I think I was, yeah, it was probably that 14, 15 range. Mm -hmm. And we were together maybe like a year and a half, something like that. And I remember when that fell apart, it was because of jealousy, because obviously I was like, so, oh my gosh, you can't leave me like everybody else left me, right? Like. I, I, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of love. And you were silly enough to choose me and fall for it. And I, I got to make sure, I got to make sure nobody else makes you realize that I, I'm not lovable, you know? Mm. So that gave me that jealousy and that possessiveness. And then that drove me more into um, my addiction to like porn at that time, because then I'm just having more and more negative feelings that I need to suppress or I need to kind of get away from. But so anyways, me and her end end up breaking up really toxic. You know, she ends up cheating on me, which just confirms what the enemy Mm -hmm. has been telling me all my life. You're not worthy of love. Um, And then that's when substances started to come in. So then uh, mainly weed at first for drugs and then, and then drinking. So at that point, I started to really just become a binge drinker and drugs on the weekends. So I'd go to school. Well, during school, I would just be high, like consistently off weed. Um, and I actually have a funny story on that is me and my friends. I don't remember what year of high school, maybe our sophomore year of high school. We were, it was the first day of school. And we were talking about if we should smoke or not before we go into school. And one of my friends was like, no, we have to get, we have to get extra high today. And then we were <laughs> like, what? That doesn't make sense. And he was like, oh no, we have to do it today because whoever they meet today is the person that they know. Right. And, right. Like, and you, you just had that stoner moment of like, oh, that's genius. Yeah. So we just got extra baked <laughs> and went into school and he was spot on. That's the person they knew. That was our identity, you know, Mm. and that's how the devil is. Like the Mm. devil makes you claim these identities that are not yours. Yeah. So I claim this like stoner, slow, dumb, you know, just, I mean, anybody who's ever got high, you're just not the sharpest you, you're not, you know, you're, (laughs) and that was my identity to the point where when I stopped doing drugs, Uh, I knew I was going to go to the military. So I stopped doing drugs my senior year and I actually got called into the nurse's office and the nurse starts the conversation by seeing, uh, saying teachers have noticed a difference in you and they're worried that you started using drugs. 
Oh. <laughs> and I just remember, yeah, and I just remember looking at the lady's face and I'm like, no, actually, I just stopped using drugs after many years. <laughs> and she was just like shocked out of her mind that I even said that probably and just was like, stood there staring at me in shock. And then was like, uh, okay, you can go back to class. And I was like, okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I mean, that was just the, the, I don't know, just the life I was in. And then to get back to the, the main core is the drugs was different than sex. And I'm gonna, I mean, I'm gonna just start saying sex instead of saying porn and sex and all different sexual acts. I just right. lust. Okay. Yeah. Actually, lust is probably a better word. Yeah. So lust, lust has been my uh, my main addiction is lust. So it was at that 14, 15 when my first love, and then we break up probably 16, 17, and that's when other addictions started to come in. But those other addictions didn't um, fill the hole in the same way. So lust filled the hole by making me feel loved whereas the drugs and the drinking made me forget that the hole was even there mm. so i i remember my goal every weekend is i just wanted to black out yeah. i remember the first time i blacked out and it was just amazing because it's like when you're blacked out just nothing exists you don't even remember the day it didn't happen nothing happened mm. it's just like absolute emptiness and i just remember that's exactly what i want because this pain inside me, this jealousy, this sorrow, this un, uh, undesirableness, this nobody loves me, I'm not capable of love. Um, I just want to stop feeling that and drinking and drugs was the best way to do it. So yeah. for that, Xanax was like my go-to. So yeah. Xanax and drinking, and that's just a recipe for blacking out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was a big uh, coping for me. So then that kind of leads into the next chapter of life of at that age, it's obviously expensive to do these things. And so how am I going to do it? And also a uh, 16-year-old uh, kid who has heavy drug issues and drinking issues is not going to be holding down a job. So then what I started doing was selling drugs. So then I was selling drugs um, to sustain my usage. Yeah. And, and then that just led down a bunch of other stuff too. I mean, that led into all types of other darkness. And that's the other thing I feel about my journey looking back is the devil really starts us on simple sin and it just starts to progress more and more. You know, mm -hmm. you, you attract more and more darkness around you. And so next thing I know, I have friends who are stealing, I have people bringing me stolen stuff to trade for drugs. I have women who are using their body to get like as a commodity, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's like, Hey, I don't have money. I have my body, that, that type of a thing. Yeah. So it just led to so many other unhealthinesses. And I had the first time I ever met God was I had just turned 18 and I was leaving a party and me and my friends get arrested. Um, and there's four of us in the car. We get pulled out of the car. We're sitting on the sidewalk in handcuffs and they start taking out drugs, just weed and coke and I think shrooms and ecstasy and yeah. scale and all the little baggies and like right. stacks of cash. <laughs> yeah. And it's just very obvious that selling drugs. And I don't know why to this day, I, to this day, I'm very curious, but I feel like the cops were either Christians or it was just divine intervention because the cops just said like, it's not for you. And they let us go. Mm. You but in that moment, <laughs> I knew. Yeah. 
uh, that in that moment, I knew that God, there was a higher power that existed. I didn't uh-huh. know what the higher power was, what its yeah. name was, what it, right. you know, how it worked. But I knew, okay, there's a higher power and it does care about me uh-huh. because why, why me and not somebody else? So that uh, is what triggered me to go to the army because that same higher power, I felt the message of you need to go to the army. Mm. You know, you need to get away from this because if you stay in this life, you're going to die. So, so from that, that's what made me join the army. Um, And like I said, I'm a January birthday. So I don't remember the exact day this happened, but maybe like late January is when this happened. And then May, so what, four months later is when I left for the military. Yeah. Uh, Right after I, right after I graduated high school, I went to the military. So, um, the reason I think that matters is because another part of my testimony is it very much follows the parable of the seed, right? There's, there's a seed that falls on dry, hard ground and before it can even go in the ground or anything can happen to it, it, the crows come and eat it, you know? Mm. And then the next is the, the seed planted in rocky soil and the roots can't go deep. So it flourishes for a season. The roots can't go down and it just kind of withers and dies. And then the seed in the thorn bush, and then same thing, it doesn't get the nutrients, the sunlight it needs, and it just withers and dies. And then finally, a, a fruitful seed is planted. So to me, uh, that avoiding jail and going to the military was the, the seed on the dry, hard ground, right? Is like, mm-hmm. it didn't plant the gospel in me. It didn't plant new resurrection life in me, but it did start something. Yeah. So... Then when I was in the army, um, I I joined in 2004, which was when Hurricane Katrina happened, and then not not brand new Iraq War, obviously, because that was from the initial attacks. But I, I think I was probably like the third, maybe the third wave, something like that, third fourth wave uh, for going to Iraq. So I went from Hurricane Katrina to Iraq within a pretty short period, um, and that just showed me the darkness of the world. Like mm-hmm. humans are terrible. Like humans are just horrible, horrible things and everybody's evil and everybody's looking out for themselves. And because I just remember like Hurricane Katrina, just seeing such a dark side of people, like this natural disaster happens. People are like dying and just losing everything they have. And then these people's priority in life is to go steal, Mm. you know? And it's just like, that's such a, or I remember like they were putting everybody in the Superdome and then they're having like rapes and just, you know fights and it's just like what is mm. what is wrong with humanity like this is what you people do like when yeah. a, a trauma happens is you just this is how we treat each other yeah so at the time and i think this is another really big part of my journey is whether we acknowledge the spiritual realm or not it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist mm. so honestly the mm-hmm. devil wants us to not know mm-hmm. he wants us to be blind to the spiritual realm because then he has unlimited control over us So when I was in Katrina and Iraq, it was just spiritual attacks, spiritual attacks, which I had no defense against because I didn't know Christ. I didn't have any sort of armor at all. And Mm -hmm. I was just a wide open wound sitting there absorbing it. So that led me into depression. So, and I remember I was getting into the depression and I was just like, oh man, life is just pointless. Like I just, yeah, just life is pointless. And then I met a, I met a chaplain's assistant and 
he, I don't know, I just met a chaplain's assistant and he somehow I started going to Bible study with him. And I don't remember how long, I literally don't even remember the Bible. I don't remember the version I read. I just remember a few times going to Bible study for maybe a month, like maybe like once a week for a month, you know, something like that. And, but I remember, oh, I feel good. The the depression, the darkness went away, you mm. know, and I never got saved out of it or anything. I don't like, I don't even think I committed my life to Christ. It was just simply interacting with the word of God was yeah. already enough to like push out, push against the enemy. Mm. But as soon as I started to feel good, then, oh, I don't need to go to this anymore. It's a waste of time. I'd rather go out <laughs> to the clubs. I'd rather go play some games in my barracks. I'd rather, right there, all the world came. So, so that was definitely the seed that fell in the thorn bushes. You know, yeah. I got healthy. I got the darkness off me and then I was like, eh, the world's better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then, so that's the, the thorn bush. And actually the one that I, I skipped over is the, the rocky soil was I actually got baptized. But the reason I got baptized was this girl that I had met in basic training uh, <laughs> wanted to hook up. And she was like a, a Texas from Texas. Baptist girl and she was just basically like hey we can do we can do this but you got to get baptized you know and I'm just like hey whatever I got to do you know (laughs) I've I've done a lot worse to I've done a lot worse to have sex (laughs) and so I just remember I don't even remember I don't even know what denomination it was I just literally and I remember the getting baptized like I walked up these stairs and I went in this tub like and it was like a hole in the ceiling above the congregation and I just you know went under came out got my clothes on and I was like, yeah, you ready go. To go? never went back to church, never <laughs> even thought about it. But I was like, I did this and now we can have sex. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's amazing. The enemy can even use baptism. It. Yes. No, but that's, I, to me, you know, what's interesting is I look at it as not the enemy using it. I look at it as God mm. using my sin and my wickedness and my perversion to save me. Mm. Because I don't doubt that that was, that was something that like a seed was planted, whether I wanted like consciously or not, a good seed was planted that day. So, so anyway, so those were the three phases. So, and then the fourth and which we'll, I'll get to at the end of this testimony is obviously it's taken plant and just done beautiful things in my life. But throughout the army, um, no longer could do drugs because they drug test. So, but drinking, sex, sex just always, porn always. By this point, uh, the army probably made it worse because um, I was in units that were predominantly male. So I was in airborne, I was in 82nd airborne, and then I was in combat units. So I was just in units where women were not. The only thing they could do is be like the supply person or the medic. So, I mean, it was 95% guys. Yeah. And um, being good with women is a great way to be very popular with a group of guys. Mm. Because if I would go out to the clubs with everybody, then they knew we would get girls, mm. you know, is because I was just the type of guy who I wouldn't just get for myself. Like I could get a group of girls to come hang out with my friends who might be shy or, you know, that right. type of thing. So then they like that. And then, again, that's where the enemy promotes. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, see, look, you're special. You're needed. Mm-hmm. This, this is a good thing. You know, your, your ability for this, your, I guess I would call it charisma. Your charisma is great, Alex. Like 
just dive into it, you know, really use it. Yeah. So the army was type of that period. And then by the time I left the army, I mean, I was probably between all sexual acts. I would say I was getting off maybe like five to six times a day. Yeah. So I'm just like, I mean, so deep in the addiction. Yeah. Um, And then I got out of the army and by the way, the depression never came back during the army, right? Never because of that, because God is good. Yeah. Um, I moved to San Francisco. Uh, when I got to San Francisco, I started a company. And then that was kind of important because that's where the success and achievement came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, another part of my depression in the army was that I was falling behind everybody, right? Like I, I, yeah, I was just falling behind. All my friends went to college. They were, well, not all, but the majority of my friends went to college and, you know, they got out and started making the money. And then I'm just, in this army, this lowly army guy in my mind. So that, that was another part of my depression. And so when I got out, um, I started, started a company. Company went well. It found success quickly. I think it was a website. And in the first, I think it was three months in, we had a million, we were getting a million unique visitors every month, which was like huge. You yeah. Know, it was a great success right away. And my business partner was really good at getting us funding and everything. So we got lots of funding for our company and it was awesome. We had like a a box at the Warriors game and that's right before they drafted Draymond Green and everybody and started winning championships. So it was just like living the life, you know, living the life and status and just, yeah, just goodness. So that shifted me to workaholism. So now I fell after my parents right? It's like, so mm. at this point, drinking drugs, sex, drugs fall off because army now drinking falls off. Now I'm not drinking or doing drugs, but now it becomes uh, achievement, success, yeah. work, 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 work. And oh, and the thing I forgot in the army that kind of made up for the drugs was exercise. Mm. Then I became very body conscious, right? Like, okay, I'm going to have, a, I'm going to be super in shape. I'm going to look great. Right. I just, yeah. that's going to help me get women, which is what matters. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, I, and it just came to my mind. I remember asking, I used to ask this to guys is I could, I, I would ask is if you could be, if you could get any woman you want to have sex with you, or you could have as much money as you want and buy anything you want, which would you choose? And what was crazy is most guys will choose sex. Interesting. So like, the money is more so useful in that it helps you get the partner you want. So I just remember, and I remember that because that's how I live my life, right? Like in the army, it's like, okay, I need to make my body look good. Okay. I need to do these certain things to be attractive to women, you know? Yeah. And, and then I got out and then that's why it started to shift towards, okay, well, I, now I want a certain type of recognition. You know, like I want other men to, to admire me too, type of a thing. Right, right. And so, so anyway, so then it shifts. And then now my addictions, sex, as always, uh, working out and now work. So now drinking and drugs are gone. And I'm just like, focus, work, work, work. And I was probably working like, I would guess 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow, wow. Um, because I would literally wake up. I would go to the office, I would start, and I was a programmer, so I'd start programming, I would 
take like an hour in the middle of the day, go work out, grab a meat, grab lunch. Um, and then I would keep working. And yes, I did skip breakfast. I've just always been, I don't need that. And oh, then now we call I'd it intermittent work. fasting. <laughs> yeah. I'd eat dinner at some point, work, 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 finally decide, okay, I'm too tired. I'm getting inefficient, go home, bathe, fall asleep, do it again. Mm. And during this time, I meet my, my future wife and you can imagine the type of relationship we had with this type of guy, because I'm a guy with tons of sexual addiction. I am a guy who is working in obscene amounts, right? 80%, 60% at least of my time is going to work. Yeah. Um, and, and then also exercising is a priority for me. So then I, I meet her and we start dating and we're, I think we had sex. It's not the first time we hung out the second. Uh, I remember the first time we ever went to my place, which I think was the first time we hung out, we had sex. But yeah. I can't remember if maybe we did something before that. Um, but anyway, so it's just that type of relationship. And again, the devil's going to bring people around you who support his direction, yeah. you know? And I don't mean that to say she's evil, just like I don't like she's evil or bad, but it was right. like she also was a broken person. Right. You know, she was sent away to boarding school when she was 12 years old. And when she came back from boarding school, well, she was sent to China for boarding school. And then she came back and she was Korean and she came back to Korea for like a couple months, like I think three months. And then she got sent to the U.S. to go to college. So mm -hmm. from the age of 12, all the way to when I met her, which is she was 19, she had spent three, three months with her parents, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if I felt empty and abandoned, you can imagine how she felt. Yeah. Um, so, so anyways, we, we just had that type of code. I guess you would call it codependency. We built a very codependent lifestyle because she, I taught her to drive, you know, I taught her, I, I taught her to be an adult, I guess, you know what I mean? But at the same, and then at the same time, she supported me. Uh, she allowed me to, to prioritize work. She allowed me to prior, just be so selfish and narcissistic. Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I know that there's a uh, enabling and enabling is yeah, kind of the yeah. allowing and it, it being okay. Yeah. And so then I was like, it's fine. So then it's like, okay, now I'm, now I'm living life. Business is going amazing. Um, I'm looking great. I have a smoking hot girlfriend <laughs> and we have great, we have amazing sex and she doesn't care about all my other stuff. You yeah. Know? Cause the other thing is like, I, at this point, I mean, I already have other side women, like I have side relationships, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like I'm being super faithful or something like that, because that's just at that point in life, that's where the enemy had me. I was just not a good person. I wasn't a healthy person, you know, yeah. um, and then come to find out she was doing the same thing, which again, mm -hmm. the devil finds your match. You yeah. know, I, I would say to anybody listening, if you see the darkness inside yourself, I just hope you know that it, like it, it's being reflected. Yes. Like, that, that's just how the devil goes. Yes. Um, and I guess my point on that is we enabled each other to bring out the worst parts of each other. Mm. 
And, but the key was from a societal point of view, it looked amazing. Right. We, we looked very successful. If, if I was, if I was posting on Instagram and Facebook and I was trying to show our best life, like I guarantee 90% of people would have been jealous of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like that type of image. Yeah. Um, because yeah, we're just living that, that type of life. So anyways, that went, that company, um, I ended up, I learned from that company that I wanted to go to a four-year university to really learn how to really be, you know, a software engineer. Um, so I ended up going to Berkeley and then my, my future wife ended up going to UCLA. So then we separated a little bit for school and everything. Um, and then I got out and I got into a program that was uh, by General Electric and it was like a leadership program. They wanted to train uh, future executives for their software because they were just starting a software division. So they chose a hundred people from around the world to do that. And then I was one of those people. And that was great because that let me, at this point, uh, money, I was good. Uh, it wasn't really for that. It was more so I wanted to see how a really large world-class business, how do they build a billion dollar business? Mm. so that was cool because I got to work with all their different I got to work for aviation and I got to work for their power generation smart factories so all these different I got to see lots of different types of businesses and how you know big business works yeah so that was good and then for her um she same thing yeah just going to school doing good and but then what happened is she went back to visit her family so at this point, me and her had been together, I want to say six, maybe seven years. Um, and we were married at this point, too. So we had got married. And I, I met her parents for the first time after we were married. Um, so she, like, she was basically estranged from her family, from my point of view. Right. Because I was estranged from my family. So since so when I left in the army, another part of my testimony is like, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents, which yeah. I kind of alluded to in the beginning. Um, I moved out of the house when I was 17 before I even graduated my senior year. And I moved in with a friend. And then that was another reason the army was just right there was because like, I, you know, I, I want nothing to do with you. I was the kid who was like, I can't wait to leave. Like, I yeah. can't wait to be free of your, of you. Yeah. So I, I projected that onto her and the, the facts supported it. It's like, we've been together six, seven years. I've never even met your parents. I don't really talk about mine. Like we, obviously your relationship's the same as my parents' relationship is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So anyway, she goes back to Korea and she, her mom was having headaches and she, my ex-wife, well, wife at the time, um, she had just got a concussion so she was very sensitive to like brain trauma and head issues so she convinced her mom to go get a ct scan uh, or mri which whichever one it is and she goes and they find out she has a brain abscess mm. so they're like okay we're going to do a pretty routine surgery you know should be pretty quick easy um it is brain surgery you know but it's not it's not serious my wife's like, okay, you know, and her and her mom, she goes to do it. And anyways, the, I don't know what happened. I would just, something went wrong. 
and her mom is still to this day in a coma. And I think that was nine years ago. So she's wow. been in a coma for about nine years. Wow. Um, and that just, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, that's when I learned what it means in scripture when it says, if you built your house on sand, like the storm is just going to wash it away mm. because our life, like I said, it looked great. People would have loved to have been in our spot. You know, we own a beautiful home and one of the best places to live in the entire world. Yeah. Like, and I mean, job wise, we're doing amazing. Um, and yeah. And then just one little thing just crumbles it all. And the way that it crumbled it is one month, my wife wanted to stay for one month and one month became, okay, I want to stay for three months and three months became six months and six months became a year. Mm. And during this time, of course, what do I do is I'm like, okay, well, you love your mother more than you love me. Yeah. Right. So then that emptiness and that hole is there, that neediness is there. So then of course, what do I do? I go back to my old self and I'm in an affair, you know, there in that year. And then come to find out later, she also, again, she, same thing, because that's, that's just how it works. <laughs> they say like, um, tracks like, but, so she was doing yeah. the same thing that you were doing at the same time you were doing it. Yeah, pretty, pretty similar timeline. But at the time, I didn't know that. But yeah. yeah. So and my affair started, I was on a business trip in Cincinnati. And I'd have I'd had a lot of emotional affairs. Um, but nothing physical since we had been married, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't stepped out or anything like that. Um, so but as soon as I did it, I just, it was just like when I got arrested it was that same type of moment of like, I knew this was a major life choice. Mm. And it's either I was going to be the type of guy who has his wife and his kids. And then he has an entire dark side of him where he's just having affairs and mistresses and, you know, maybe a side family, that, that type of a thing. Yeah. And, or I'm going to be the type of guy who prioritizes my relationship, prioritizes my family at the cost of work. So it's kind of one of those things where I realized like I can either choose work and just a lot of broken relationships, or I can choose relationships and cutting back on work. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided relationship. I'm like, I, I'm going all in on relationship because my father had gone the opposite direction yeah. and I just never wanted to be that. So, so anyways, I chose that. So I quit, quit the job, everything. I moved to Korea. And, um, then I lived in Korea for about three years trying to reconcile everything. So, and that's the other thing. I mean, my, my ex and me definitely love, I hate using love because I truly believe now that I know God, that I don't think anybody who, I don't think anyone who does not know Jesus is capable of love because God mm -hmm. is love. And if you don't know Jesus, you just don't know what love is. You may, you may think from a human worldly view, you, you love something or you know what it is, but it, you just don't right. like your love is conditional and conditional love is just not love. I, okay. I, I know that probably sucks to hear for a lot of people. And I <laughs> but I fully that, agree. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, we, we had that worldly, we, really cared we deeply cared for each other we wanted to make it work 
Um, so I went, I moved to Korea. I confessed what I did. That's when it came out. She had done the same thing. Um, and we decided, hey, we're going to try to make this work. We're going to try to heal and reconcile, right? Um, but some things came out during this Korea time that really changed our relationship too, is I never realized her family's wealth. Um, everything was always on me. I mean, I paid for everything. You know, I, I paid for our cost of living. I paid for food. I paid for, I even paid for like her to get dental work, like just every, I mean, I paid for everything. Yeah. Um, and it was nothing to me. That was just something a man does, you know, that's just part of it. You take care of that's the deal. Um, but when I went to Korea, I realized how it was. The best thing I can explain is I remember something she said to me when I got there is it was basically why did you stay in America so long and my response was well I was trying to pay and take care of us right we just bought a house uh we just did all these things and I'm like well I just you know I just want to keep taking care keep building you know keep saving keep doing all these things and she was like what you make is insignificant you know and I was just shocked because at this time, I mean, I would say my earnings was probably at least top 10%, if not top 5%, like well into six figures. Wow. Um, and, and not even counting investing and that, that other type of stuff and not counting savings or anything like that. So I was just shocked when she said that, you know, like, wait, what? Yeah. And to her, like, there was never a gratitude or anything for what I perceived was my hard work to take care of us because to her, she's also so affluent that it was just like, duh, that's what, I mean, money's there, you know, obviously you don't worry about that. It doesn't need to be worried about. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't, I, I it's hard to explain. Yeah. Um, and so, after so everything when I realized, done to work for that and all yeah. of that, <laughs> the yeah. success, the accomplishments, yeah. uh, all of it was for nothing. Yeah exactly it's for nothing and i'm just like oh my gosh and then that's when i realized there's levels you know there's always somebody at a higher level than you mm. and the higher level is always going to look down on the lower level you mm -hmm. know and, and i'm I'm speaking from a non-god point of view so i'm, I'm yeah, speaking yeah. from a worldly point of view right <laughs> um and yeah so i just realized like wow i just like basically been wasting all this effort everything you know i'm just like doing all i'm like making all these choices to sacrifice and it's pointless yeah but um yeah so anyways but at the same time that enabled us to again i didn't i didn't work when i was in korea you know so for that three years i was just you know take care of home stuff like i was basically a house husband you know um and so I just tried to do my best because I I was like, okay, remember again, I gave up on, okay, I'm not going to do all the, the work and stuff. I'm not going to earn the love through work and achievement. I'm going to earn the love through love. Like I'm going to care for my wife. I'm going to, you know, snuggle her. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to let her vent to me. I'm going to not judge her. I'm going to, right. I'm going to do all the emotional things Yeah. and I'm not going to do the provision type of things. Because I think that's the other thing about the world is you can, the two lies that the enemy has used to me is you get a woman by providing or you get a woman by the emotional. Well, sorry, financially providing or emotionally providing. Mm. 
And if you somehow do both, you're some sort of superhuman man and that probably doesn't exist because, yeah. you know, if, if you're doing both of those, that means your dark life, your hidden life is really dark. Like you're mm. into some twisted stuff then if you're, if you feel the need to do both of those. Mm. Um, so, so then I'm living in Korea and I'm just trying and I'm studying, like I'm reading about love languages. I'm reading about like how to, you know, just how to be a loving husband, how to make a woman just feel emotionally secure and anyway failing miserably because my wife at this point has uh developed a drinking issue so now she's what I would call an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and she's just super depressed and I mean as you would be she spends every single day with her mom in the hospital who's in a coma and she's in the traumatic brain injury ward so she's seeing just horrible situations you know she's Mm -hmm. seeing these people and if anybody's ever been around head injuries, it's one of the worst types because the person you knew is gone. Mm. Like they may not talk the same, they may not be able to move the same, or they may just like cognitively they're gone, you know, like they're just, they're really just not the same. So it's just so depressing and so heavy. And that for her was like me in Iraq or me in Hurricane Katrina. It's just that spiritual darkness oppressing her and she just had no way out of it. Mm. And then that obviously started to seep into me too. So then, and another thing is I don't speak Korean. So living in Korea is super socially isolating. So mm. I'm like, just in the darkness. Yeah. So after three years, I just feel like such a failure. And all those lies that the devil told me when I was a kid just came back, right? Mm. Alex, you will never be loved. Alex, you do not deserve love. Mm. And you are incapable of making another human feel loved. And what triggered that hard for me was, I remember my wife would always say is, I just don't feel loved. And I was like, what do I need to do? I'm doing everything. Like, I'll do whatever you want. And she said, I don't care what you do. I just don't feel loved. And I'm like, you know, so that just reaffirmed the devil's, you're broken. You'll never be able to love someone. You'll never make someone feel loved because you're a broken human being. So that led me to hopelessness is I was like, okay. I've done the material thing, the financial thing, and it's, it's miserable. It's, it doesn't matter to me because I'm, I'm just the type of person. I don't really care about material, material things don't make me happy. Like I, I don't care about clothes. I don't care about cars. They're not something that excite me. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, I'm such a homebody (laughs) traveling, you know, it's semi exciting, but honestly, it's a hassle. (laughs) And I say that from being somebody who at this point was traveling internationally a lot. Like I, I never even got a visa for Korea, which means every three months I had to leave Korea and then come back to Korea to get a traveler's visa. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was doing that for three years. (laughs) And you can imagine how much international travel, like I'm going to like Hong Kong or Singapore and, you know, like Japan hopping around. So, and then we would stay, you know, stay at a hotels and do stuff. And um, so yeah, again, I've, I've tried that route and yeah. it just is not pleasing to me. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not something that's worth living for. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And then emotionally, I can feel that sense of like, emotionally is worth it. If I could, you know, if I can love my wife, if she, if I can make her happy and we can have kids and all these things, I'll, that will fulfill me, you know, mm-hmm. but unfortunately I'm just broken and I'm unworthy of love, which I've known since I was a little kid. And then, so I was like, okay, well, only choice left is to kill myself because life is pointless. Mm -hmm. So then I was going to kill myself. And 
I was thinking, how am I going to kill myself? And I was like, okay, I'm going to hang myself because that's just the easy way. Uh, and I planned it all out and I was like, okay, I'm going to get drunk. That way it's just, you know, you can slide into it easier. Just good to go. Yeah. So I'm drinking and then I just hear this voice comes to me and is like, Alex. And I'm like, yes, if you're going to kill yourself, why not just give your life to me? Then I paused. I thought about it logically. And I was like, that makes sense. (laughs) And then I downloaded the Bible app. And then I started reading the Bible. And that is the moment I was saved, you know, and somebody asked me to give my and actually the way that the original testimony you heard started was Pastor Carl asked me to share my testimony about how somebody shared Jesus with me. And I was telling him, like, I can't do that because there's not a that it wasn't like a person like Jesus shared Jesus with me, you know? Yeah. He, he came to me. That, uh, that was my experience so, too. And it was the most amazing experience. <laughs> it was one that people look at me like, you're crazy. That didn't happen. I'm like, Oh, it did. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, it happens. Um, and yeah. So, and somebody later asked me like, how, how do you, how do you know it was Jesus? And I was, I was just like, I just knew like, it's always a Christian Jesus. Like it's always Jesus who shows up. Like I got baptized. That girl could have been a Muslim. She could have been Buddhist. She could have been Jewish. She could have been lots of things, but no, she took me to get baptized, you know? Yeah. Uh, same thing when I was depressed, it could have been any, it could have been the Imam, but no, it was a chaplain assistant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and and even in that moment, I didn't think of those things, to be honest. When right. I heard that voice, I didn't think of anything. I just knew it was a Christian God. I knew it was Jesus. The, and I downloaded the, the Holy Bible God. and started reading. Wow. Yep. And so then I started reading. And I think my first time through the Bible, I mean, I just like, I was blessed with a hunger for the Bible at that point. Because I don't know exactly, but I read through the Bible for the first time in probably three months like just front front cover to back um and then I just kept going I was like okay well that was I read the uh NIV the first time Mm -hmm. and then I was like okay well let me read a different version okay let me read a different version okay let me and just from then on I was really blessed for reading the bible from day one yeah um prayer was something that built over time and then journaling is something that started to build this last year so Mm -hmm. To me, those are really the basis I, I feel of any Christian life. Um, yeah. They built our intimacy with Jesus, but that's a different track. Yeah. But anyway, so after after I got saved there, I still living in Korea. And then one day that voice comes back to me and says, Alex, you need to leave Korea or you're going to die. And I was like, huh? You know, and I've heard that voice again. That was the voice. You need to go to the military. That was the voice that don't kill yourself. You know, mm-hmm. that was... I know it. And then, but at this time I'm reading through the Bible and I had read, you know, you can be tricked. There, there's deceiving spirits. So I was like, okay, well, how do I know this is you, Jesus? And I remember I was reading through Joshua and how the Israelites are throwing lots to determine who gets what piece of land. So I was like, okay, well, I can just do a game of chance. And, and I decided I'm going to look at the time. And if the time is odd, then I will you know, it's, it's God. If the times even it's the devil trying to trick me. Wow. So 
And I just remember always like, and I just remember screaming in my head, like, okay, if you do this, you must commit no matter what, like, there's no wishy-washy, like it only works if you're hundred percent all in. So I was like, okay, hundred percent all in looked and it was odd. And I think I left Korea that night or very, like very, very shortly after that. And, and then just since then, I've just been following the Holy spirit and it's just been so good. I mean, just so much restoration in all my relationships. Um, I thought I would go back to San Francisco. I mean, I have a house there, I have everything. Um, I could easily just pick back up, you know, and then the difference is I could pick back up, but I could just go to church, you know? Um, but then the Holy spirit told me, go visit my parents who, again, I had a strained relationship with. And when I visited, uh, my sister, my little sister happened to be visiting with her family. And so we overlapped by two days. I told them, you know, I've been saved. Uh, I was going to kill myself. Jesus saved me and I'm just going to listen to him. And my sister was like, you are crazy. Like you were insane. You make, you make these crazy life choices, you know, like moving to Korea, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, I, it doesn't matter. It's like, this, this is, this is right. And she's like, yeah, but there's a church where people have these crazy stories like you, like they just move randomly and, you know, and I just felt God in that moment, like that's your church. And I was like, okay. So that led me to move to Maine. Um, and then that's like a whole, I don't know how much you want to get into all that stuff, but that's the whole thing. So when I was there, restored my relationship with my sister. Uh, and then I built a relationship with my niece and nephew. So, which I never would have done. I totally would have been the uncle who's just like, okay, what am I sending them on their birthday? You know, here's a gift card. Enjoy yourself. Um, So have a relationship with them. That's still strong to this day. You know, they're always excited to talk to me and I love seeing them. And then my father, uh, we, we went on a first family trip in over 10 years. Wow. We'd been on. And we went on that trip and somehow I ended up walking on the beach with my parents, which was a God thing. Just the fact we were walking alone with each other. And then my dad just asked me to come join him in the business. And again, just God came so heavy, like, yes, that's my will on your life. And I was like, okay. So then that's, that's what brought me back to Arizona. And, and I've just been following, you know, just following the Holy spirit since then. And I mean, just it's, I can't really express to somebody how better my life is. I have so much deep relationships. I have so much love in my life. Um, everything I was always missing is is here now. You know, I feel whole. I feel the the things that I'm most thankful for in my life are my relationships with other people, with friends, with people I've met at church, brothers and sisters, with my parents. Um, and then even my family started. So my mother is now safe and my none of my family are believers. Uh, my sister was a Muslim for few years but so it yeah it's just amazing how God works and I know my whole family will get there like I just just like I know that it was Jesus who saved me so wow oh my gosh (laughs) he's so good he's so 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 good in every every way it's amazing so Oh my gosh, so many more questions. <laughs> I'm curious about about your ex-wife. You moved from Korea. I'm guessing you guys got divorced. Um, and but you started reading the Bible so, while you were there. Yeah. So um, I always felt okay. So when I left Korea, we're still married, and we just got divorced in December of last year. So okay. it's only been 
what, four months, four months now? Okay. Uh, December 10th. So yeah, literally, I think almost exactly four months. Um, so very recently divorced. And I left Korea three years ago because I left a little bit before COVID. Okay. So, so yeah, we still were married but separated for quite a few years. Um, while I was on this journey. And to be honest, I always thought we would reconcile Mm -hmm. Um, because the biggest thing for me that I didn't go into in my testimony was my wife was my idol, right? Is that Mm -hmm. codependency is, and the Lord had to break me of that. And that was really rough. And that took a lot of time because, and what I mean, and what I mean by she's my idol. And I think how anybody can know that you've made another person your idol is I was happy if she was happy. I was sad if she was sad. Mm. I, my identity, my value, my worth came from her state of being. Mm. Not even how she looked at me or how she, not, nothing to do with me, just simply how she was. I was like, if I'm a successful human, she's going to be happy. Mm. If I am a, you know, if I'm doing what I need to do, then she's going to be a joy-filled, you know, person. And that is idolatry, like at its finest. Yeah. So, but it took me a long time to realize that and really, and I just remember the line that the Lord gave me is he said, Alex, if you make a human, the, the hope for your happiness, if you make an idol of any human, they will fail you always because they're not perfect. And it's not fair to you. And it's not fair to them because they're going to mess up and they're going to let you down. And that's just something they're going to do because they're human. And he said, you know, the one person who will never let you down and will never fail you. And I said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, yep. So then that just set my priority, you know, as God is just basically like, yeah, I need to be your priority, you know, above all things. I'm, I'm your priority. Wow. And then life and then kids and then family and then, um, so I think idolatry is kind of a, a sin of prior of poor priorities. When we prioritize things out of order, I think that tends to be what becomes idolatry. So the reason I say this to answer your question is I stayed with her for a very long time after leaving Korea because of that idolatry. And I was looking and once again, I was when I was reading, remember, she always said, I don't feel loved. So when I started to read the Bible and I learned, oh, God is love, I, I thought to myself, oh, obviously she never felt love because I didn't have love. I didn't have God. But now I have God. Now I can make her feel loved. And when uh, I make her feel loved, yeah. she's going to be happy. Yes. And every, our whole marriage is going to be fixed. Yeah. It was interesting because so, the beginning of starting this podcast, that's what I started off sharing is that my first time through reading the Bible, I read it through is it through the lens of trying to find ways to convict the narcissist, the ex-narcissist in my life, like to prove like everything enemy related or narcissistic related. I was like, see it. So it was validation for me. And now reading through it for the second time in that same app, I think from alpha Bible in a year is so different. It's so different. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wow. And that's just the beauty of God. He's so gentle and delicate with us. He he doesn't give us more than we can chew. You know, he bites off just enough for us. It pushes us, it strengthens us, but it doesn't break us, you know? So yeah, yeah it, is, it is a beauty. But with my ex, 
I felt, so I always felt the Lord and I prayed on it obviously so much, you know, but I always felt the Lord tell me is don't push for divorce, right? Is if, if she wants to leave and she files for divorce and she does all these things, don't fight her. Don't try to not let it happen. But at the same time, I want you to reconcile. I want you to try. I want you to be praying for her. So, I mean, over those years, I prayed for her. Who knows how many times I tried to reconcile completely. She was actually here last year in April and May for, I think, like two or three months. And mm-hmm. and then, yeah, she just left. And honestly, I don't even know why she left. And then she filed for divorce. So I, I honestly don't even know. If you ask me, I don't know what the final trigger for her was. But I just, I, that, you know, it was time. And it was. And then, yeah, so the papers came to me one day and I was just obedient. I signed them and, you know, that was that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so, so, so good. And I'm a little bit curious about Maine. If you've got a little bit more time now, I'm like, what? No, 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 I have tons. Yeah, I'm free today. So you can ask whatever you want. Okay. Tell us about Maine. I'm curious about that. So Maine was very interesting. Um, So I get to Maine and one, I have to tell you how I got to Maine. So I knew I needed to move to Maine. Um, I knew the Lord wanted me to go, but I didn't know timing. So another really important part of because of the way that I was saved and my relationship with Jesus is I, I am very much like the Israelites in the wilderness in that Mm -hmm. I'm like, God, if you lead me, I'm going to go. (laughs) But if you're not leading, then I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I see that fiery cloud start to shift in the sky, I'm I'm quick to walk after it. But if it's sitting there, I'm just like, hey, I I guess I'm sitting here. (laughs) So I knew he wanted to take me to Maine. I knew he wanted me to go to that church, but I didn't know the timing. So I was just praying and just reading Bible every day. And and one day I wake up, probably 6 a.m. And just I hear hear the Lord is just like buy tickets right now so I got on bought tickets and I I flew to Maine that night and Maine is remote for anybody who doesn't know so I mean I flew I think to Boston Logan Airport or something like that and then I rode a bus like you know in into the area of Maine I was going to and the bus that I got on was the last bus it then shut down for COVID for months oh I don't know when it opened back up but it was literally literally the last bus Wow. So, and that was just kind of confirmation. And the Holy Spirit's just so good. Like God's so good about those types of reassuring you, letting you know you're on the right path if you're attentive. So Maine kind of taught me that. So I get there on that last bus. Um, and then I felt led to fast, but I'd never fasted. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to fast because now at this point I'm reading about this fasting stuff in the Bible and yep. how important it is to prayer and everything. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm on that bus. Plus, I was like, Jesus fasted 40 days before his ministry. Moses fasted 40 days. I'm like, okay, I got to fast. Yep. So then I started to fast before I go in Maine. And, and then I get embedded in this church. And Maine for me was just a time to develop intimacy with a God. I didn't, again, I didn't work. And, you know, because prior in my testimony, I didn't need to. Uh, that's just a blessing. I know this is not, everybody's not in that situation. Um, but I didn't need to. And I just felt the Lord being like, you know, that was an addiction for you. You're too much of your identity comes from being, um, 
how do I say this? Too much pride, you know, too much pride. I, I want to be the big person. I want to be the person looked up to, right? That type of mentality mm-hmm. um, and not working. And Lord told me, don't buy a car. I want you to be completely dependent, right? The only thing I was allowed is buy myself basic food and to buy, like to pay for an apartment. Oh, yeah. So, but even then I, I even stayed with my sister for like maybe a month, month and a half, something like that when I first moved there. So all these things to me were like the most humbling thing ever. I like, I cannot express the discomfort (laughs) for me of being that reliant. Because you have to keep in mind, since I was 18, I took care of myself. Until at that time, I was 35. So I mean, for 17 years, I was completely self-reliant and I have money to take care of myself like that. That's the other thing. Um, But God was just trying to teach me something, you know, and and it did teach me. It taught me such a humility, but it also just taught me. I use it now that I'm here in Arizona because it makes my my heart so much more soft to other people. Like there was a season where a lot of people have needs. And they refused to ask. And I had this happen to me the last round of Alpha with two different people. They, they, they had needs, right? But they refused to ask. Mm-hmm. And I was just literally, and I don't even know how God set me up with them. But it's like, you just ask, I can help you. Like, I don't know what you need. But if you'll just state your need, I'm happy to help you as much as I can, you know? Mm-hmm. And as soon as they stated their need, I was able to help both people. It just happened to be things that I could easily do, you know, but yeah. I feel like that's how God is too. He's like, if you don't ask, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Like the asking is a very important part. It's huge. Um, yes. He, yeah, 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 exactly. Cause it humbles us. It, it, he knows our needs. Yes. But us to humble ourselves to his provision is something entirely different. Yeah. So good. I mean, it even has, I think there's in scripture, the guy who's blind, it's clear that he wants to be healed of his blindness, but before Jesus goes in and just does it, because he doesn't do that because he gives yeah. us free will and doesn't do anything against our will, or which is when wouldn't do that. That's a human thing. But he, he asks, what do you want from me? And he makes the blind guy ask, mm-hmm to be free from his blindness. And then of course he does it, but he's not going to do it until you ask. Exactly. So that was me was humbling me and teaching me to ask. Mm. So, and then another thing in Maine for me was money. Obviously money was another idol in my life, you know, like money mattered. It gave me status. It gave me power. It gave me, it took care of me. It was protector. Right. So that was another thing of just being generous. And I was a stingy person, you know, I was so stingy. And I think that's the other amazing thing is recently at church, a few months, I don't know, a few months ago, somebody was saying, you were one of the most generous people I've ever met. And I was like, who are you talking to? (laughs) Because I was literally the stingiest Scrooge person (laughs) ever, you know? But that's how God works is it's like he takes the part of us that the enemy has absolutely corrupted. And that's what he's going to redeem. And that's what he's going to turn into our strength. It is shocking. Like another thing that happened in Maine 
was the people I became, I became close to two women at church. And this was not a zero sexual thing, which already was weird. Because remember, at this point, I was like seriously a sex addict. Were you surprised that that wasn't a thing anymore? Like, where did that go? Yeah, I'm just like, and no, like the sex even stayed with me after being saved. I mean, I still watch porn until recently, like last year, I still, um, and I'll, I'll go into that more if you want, but, uh, so the sexual sin stuck with me the longest. Cause again, that's been in me since I was 12. I mean, that's been with me for over 20 years. Yeah. And, and daily, like, <laughs> oh, like heavily. Yeah. Several times a day. So go into that after you in Maine yes, is one of the closest people I'm with, and I still talk to her to this day, was a sex traffic victim. Mm. And I don't know, God just built this brother-sister relationship between us. Of Like I said, she's still, we still talk with each other. She, you know, uh, I'm close with her daughter, who's six now. And I remember a conversation she had, and she just looked at me like weeping. And she was like, you're the first man who I know loves me, but it's not for my body. Wow. And I like, I cannot even express to you how I was like breaking down inside because I was just looking at her like, you can't be talking to me because I'm a piece of garbage and I literally watch porn today, wow. you know? Yeah. And like, I'm probably the guy who supported that thing. And mm. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about that. It's just, that's how God works. Like, yeah, it, it is crazy. It, I, it, it blows my mind. And then that relationship led me into meeting all these other sex victims too, like trafficking victims, rape victims. Yeah. And for some reason, I feel safe to them. You know, like, I feel like that's a gift God has given me is to feel safe to women who have been through traumatic things. Mm. And it is just shocking to me because I am and I tell them when they're telling me about like these horrible guys in their life and stuff is I'm like, I was at least as bad as that guy. If not, I was worse than a lot of them. Right. You know, I'm like my womanizing and my like manipulation, my narcissism, like you're so like worse. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I pray for those guys, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. you probably don't want to hear it, but I, I'm telling you those guys are hurting. Oh, they're hurting. Like you, you said this before, and that really resonated. Their darkness is darker than we could ever imagine. And, and their depths are deeper than we could ever imagine. And they're hurting so much more than we could ever. Yeah. Imagine. So much. Yeah. Like, oof. Oh, yeah. I just, pit, I pity. Yeah. I seriously pity, pity them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Maine was those seasons. So those were the big ones was like, he Lord started to redeem these weaknesses. So the idolatry of my wife, the broken relationships, just family and otherwise, the money, and then also the sex. So yeah. Maine was a part of redemption. Maine also exposed me to spiritual warfare, meaning demons exist. Demons are real. Yeah. Like if if you want to act like they don't exist, go ahead, but that doesn't make them any less real. It's, right. <laughs> It's exactly. like being like, oh, you don't have a gun. And then you see a bullet hole and you're like, I don't know where that came from. Well, nope, that can't be a bullet hole because there's guns don't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about the so, point. Our, our stories are so similar. I lost my virginity at 14 mm-hmm. um, through bets mm-hmm. with, 
you know, another couple that was at junior high. And, and then it became a thing very similar, married to a narcissist who I'd come home from work and we have an 80 inch TV screen with porn, just like, like people banging out on this 80 inch screen. I'm like, hi, honey. Oh, Mm -hmm. Hey. And just, you know, like it was a constant and consistent. And then even after that relationship ended, it it was consistent in my life. And that was, that was a struggle. It was something that was hard to break was the masturbation and the the thinking that anything was wrong because I wasn't committing a sexual act with another physical human and, and the very real awakening, uh, lots of praying around the, the strength to, to break the chains of that. And they've been broken, but it wasn't easy. So I'm curious about how that final, how finally broke for you. So for me, one, I will never say it finally broke because I am way too much of an addict in Mm. that area to even remotely feel that level of safety. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Well, I say that maybe one day I'll feel that way, but I, yeah, I definitely do not feel that way now. Um, For me, something, Philippians 2.13 was my core verse, like from almost day one of my faith. And that's, God gives us the power and desire to do what pleases him. Mm. And that was so fundamental to me because I always call him out on that promise. As I say, Lord, you promise to give me the power and you promise to give me the desire to do what pleases you. And I know that I'm doing things that don't please you. So I need you. I need oh. you to fix me. You know, I need you to step into this brokenness. Like, and cause I remember like with that sister, right. Is, I mean, she's literally giving me testimony about, being beaten and threatened with her life and the life of her family and forced to do all these sexual things with men for money. And, and then I'm going and watching porn. And I'm telling you, when you want to feel like a horrible piece of garbage, (laughs) uh, like I was just like, Lord, how am I doing? And I would even tell her, like, I, I don't know how I do this anymore. And you know, the craziest thing is she watched porn. She also had a porn and masturbation issue. And me and her would talk like how, and it's just, and I just remember, and I think anybody who's truly been an addict will understand this is you can white knuckle white knuckling to me is a, I'm, I'm suppressing it with my human desire, my human, my flesh, like I'm using my flesh to suppress the darkness and that does not work ever. And I think you started to talk about it when we first started talking um, is like, you realize how powerless you are, you know, like you realize oh my gosh I really can't get away from this like and then you realize but it's that weakness it's that utterly submitted I am absolutely incapable of doing anything about this that glorifies God so much yeah because and our weakness so to me strong yeah exactly when we are weakest is when his shine his his strength shines yeah um is so for me I took a different path than many people is I use Philippians 2.13 to not feel shame and guilt when I would, because what always will, I mean, the standard pattern, and I talked to so many, because I share openly about my porn usage and my sexual morality, which means a lot of people come to me and have these type of discussions. So I would say I disproportionately have a number of these type of talks. And what almost always comes out is people's shame and guilt cycle that they feel. So you watch porn, you masturbate, you, you is immediately, as soon as you have the joy is right. As soon as that moment of bliss is gone, despair 
confusion, shame, guilt, right? Just the de- enemy's right there really quick to accuse you of everything you just did. Yeah. So to me, my way, I think one thing we first had, I had to deal with was how do I get out of the shame and guilt? Right. And then obviously the word, right? Um, God, God will never shame and guilt us. That's right. not how he operates. Uh, just like he won't lie, he, he won't shame and guilt us. So that helped me. And then once I would get out of that, it would go to the, well, if I really, if I really feel shame and guilt, or if I really don't feel that way, and I'm really free of sin, then why do I keep sinning? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I stuck in Roman. I mean, I don't know how many times I've read through Romans. So just going through that, but that's why the Philippians always kept coming to me is, and I refused a white knuckle. And actually, the more I refused the white knuckle, the more healing I found. Uh, and I don't know, man, I'm like so hesitant to say these things because it's like, I know this is my testimony, but I'm like, I just want anybody listening to this to know that I love scripture. I'm in it all the time. And I, I reserve the right to change my opinion of the gospel at any time. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I could yeah. go in there and read right after this and realize like, oh, I was in error. So I just want to say that (laughs) my testimony of how I got out (laughs) is, yeah. So my testimony of how I got out though, is I, um, I I refused to white knuckle and I refused to feel shame and guilt. And one of the final things for me was, well, two things. One is in the spiritual and one is in the, like me stepping out in faith. So Mm -hmm. the spiritual was, I did bindings on all the demons. So the one that really got me was two was the spirit of perversion and the spirit of whoredom. And there's an amazing book that this person recommended to me and I use, and it, it uses scripture. And these are all spirits that are listed in scripture. So literally, if you go and look in King James, you will see these spirits in there, right? They're not, (laughs) they're, they're real. And anyways, this woman bound those in me and cast them out. And after that, I started all of a sudden, I was able to go a day without porn, mm. right? Um, all of a sudden, I could fall asleep without watching porn. Yeah. All of a sudden, I was going one week. All of a sudden, I was going two weeks, right? And I would slip up, but then it's like it was getting longer and longer. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the Lord, I just felt on my heart to do something was he basically made a deal. It was like, Alex, if you're going to do it. Okay, don't feel shame and guilt, but I want you to write down what emotion triggered this action. What makes you want to watch porn? And what type of porn do you want to watch? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's so true. I would date in time. I would be like December 21st, 5 p.m. And I would be like, uh, trigger. I, uh, I lost a video game today because it could be that simple. Right. Right. And yeah. I'm feeling that loserness mm-hmm. <laughs> and it'd be like okay what type of porn and i don't know how, okay whatever we, we're being explicit so i'll be explicit i'll be like that makes me want to watch porn of women being submissive yeah so that i can gain back that that power feeling yeah, yeah. you know um or somebody cut me off in traffic and i feel my power was taken so mm-hmm. i want to watch yeah this type of porn yeah and I literally would keep going. I, I would just do it every single time, every single time, every single time. And it did a few things. One, it showed me that the relapses were less severe. Mm-hmm. When I would relapse, I would binge for a while, like maybe a couple of days, but many times within those couple of days, but then the binging got smaller and smaller. 
Mm. And two is I saw the pattern. I saw, oh, there's very specific triggers. Like for me, some of the triggers were um, feeling like a loser. Mm. Another trigger was tired. If I get emotionally drained, like just physically and emotionally too low on energy trigger. Mm. Mm. Um, And then another one is the unworthiness. Yeah. If I feel unworthy, if I feel, then it triggers triggers it. Yeah. And here's the trick of the devil that I learned is if you think about this, unworthiness triggers me to watch porn. Mm. Well, what happens if I feel shame and guilt after watching porn? Right. (laughs) I just triggered my unworthiness. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's an infinite cycle. Yeah. Watch porn, feel unworthy, watch porn, feel unworthy. So I don't know, just doing that. And then all of a sudden, yeah, for some reason, since yeah, I don't know the exact day the last one was, it was sometime in December, but I use January 1st because that's just for sure I haven't. Right, right. No sexual anything. I've been sex free for since January 1st. So, and this is the longest I've ever made it, but it's also the easiest. Like there's been challenges. There's been a few, maybe like three or four nights that have been, they've been rough. Like I had to really go to God. I had to really go to prayer. I had to really uh, dig down, not to, to relapse, but yeah. um, it's nothing compared to what it used to be, man. I mean, when I got those spirits bound, when she bound those spirits, I'm telling you, like, it used to be 10 out of 10. Like, if I don't do this, I feel like I'm, my eyes are going to bleed, right. you know, like it, 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 there was no question of how long can I make it? It was, or actually there was no question of, will I ever do it again? It was how long until I do it again? Mm. And then it's like after that, the, the casting out the demon, it became like, oh, I don't, my desire doesn't feel the same. I might, this might actually be sustainable, you know? So, and I think that's where you are probably more mature in that than I am is I could see a part in the future where it's like the desire just no longer exists. You know, I, to be honest with, with me is I still have a fear of the desire coming back, you know? Yeah. Um, because I just never want to be that again. It's just such a miserable place. It's just such yeah, a miserable place. It really place. is. I mean, personally, my desire came from wanting to be in a healthy marriage. And what would that look like? And writing that down. And if I was full confession and transparency and honesty with my husband, because I would ask that he would be that of me, what things would he be doing? And what things am I doing? And what is he praying for? And I doubt he's praying for a wife who's masturbating every day to porn. <laughs> I just, you know, if he's a mm-hmm. true godly man. And so I, I just realized I need to become that. So it, it wasn't easy, but it was definitely worth it. And it's not always easy peasy. There's definitely still, like you said, those triggers and, and those desires. But I, I made the stronger desire to be the woman that I want my man to want you know (laughs) so yeah no and it's interesting you say that because I have a very similar prayer that I start praying and I pray this over my ex-wife I pray this over any woman I'm close to really um is I pray for their future man to be a man of God a man who fears the Lord with all of his heart with all of his mind with all of his soul he loves the Lord and I just pray those things and then this one day God is just like do you deserve my beloved daughter? And I was like, no, I do not. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I just started praying, Lord, make me worthy. Like make me worthy of your beloved daughter, you know, make, make me a worthy man. Um, so it's interesting your prayer. I would take that as a very similar, it's the same heart, okay. you know? 
I'm, I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing the name of the book for people who might feel that, that. Oh yeah. It's called strong man, strong man, uh, strong man. What's his name? I believe. No, the strong man and his game. Yeah. Strong man and his game. I think I'll, I'll link it to you later so you can share it. Oh, cool. um, okay. But yeah, it's amazing. And it's hard to get through. I literally just walked a friend through it um before right before me and you got on this call um and the enemy does not want you to go through that let me just like if people have never done spiritual warfare stuff it is something that you will just think oh i'm tired oh i'm procrastinating oh i don't feel good oh x like i'm telling you so many things will come up to prevent you from going through it because the enemy knows once you get through once you get that done like he's lost power in your life yeah so I just want to put that out there and I'm not saying this to, Hey, don't get the book and don't read it. I'm actually saying the opposite. I'm saying, get the book, read it. But like, seriously, you need to commit to it. Like get somebody to help you go through with it. Um, another thing I've learned because I've given this to so many people now is go through the bindings. Every chapter has the spirit. It, it gives the Bible verses that talk about the spirit and the symptoms of the spirit. And then it gives, a binding a prayer to bind the spirit and cast it out of your life so i recommend there's 16 is go through every single one of the 16 uh go through the bindings and then you'll find that it's easier to read through the book itself is that in the book the one you said you you worked with the woman uh to to cast out those spirits so that was when i was in maine and that was through a different program oh, and okay. see that's where this is this is another thing is how do I explain this? Um, I call it iterative prayer. And what I mean by that is my prayer, today I could have woke up and I pray, God, make me a good husband, right? And that's a very generalized prayer. Like, I mean, that doesn't have, it's hard to answer if God came through on that prayer or not, right? right. I guess really the only way I could think of if to say that is like, oh, my wife called me a good husband today. Maybe something like that, right? But it, it's not a it's not a specific prayer. Mm -hmm. So then what I've learned is what God will do is if I'm too specific is he doesn't answer, but he gives me a more specific prayer. So then it goes from let make me a good husband, right? To Lord, making me a more compassionate man. Lord, make me a more patient man, right? And then make me a more compassionate man turns into, Lord, give me a heart to serve my community. Lord, give me a heart to be generous with my time and my resources. Does that make sense? So it's like you start with this very general prayer and the Lord by the end breaks it into a hundred minor prayers. Mm, yeah. Um, so I feel like getting your spirit clean is the same thing. You start with Lord, like clean my cup, clean this vessel. Um, and I always use the cup and vessel because when Jesus talks about the Pharisees is you fools, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is still filthy, right? You leave the, yeah. the inside so dirty. So to me, I call it cleaning, cleaning the cup, clean yeah. the vessel of all the dirty debris. Yeah. So my prayer can start with that Lord, clean the cup and cleaning the cup comes to a lot of things in. So for, I'll just speak my testimony is it comes to confession. It comes because again, scripture tells us confess all of your sins mm -hmm. every sin you have ever done go to somebody and you need to look them in the eye and confess to them and a brother and sister in christ 
And I'm not saying just go choose some rando, right? (laughs) (laughs) Choose somebody you trust. It doesn't have to be everybody, but you should confess that sin, you know? And also it does not have to be a pastor. It doesn't have to be a priest. It doesn't have to be some high and mighty. I mean, it just, a Christian brother or sister, go confess everything. I think that's one way we clean the cup. Another way we clean the cup is we repent. Uh, we simply say, hey, I know it was wrong. So like me, I went through every single sexual partner I had, every single sexual encounter I had. And I said, Lord, I repent of these actions. I know they were wrong. And I just break any, I break the tie between me and that person. Um, so yeah, that is another way to clean the cup. And then there's these demons who dwell within us. Then you bind and okay. There, there's a whole discussion on can a Christian have a demon be possessed by a demon or indwelled, whatever. I, to me, it, that doesn't really matter. The, what matters is demons can affect our life. So mm. when I say, let's just get rid of their impact on my life, however you want to phrase that is, is up to you. <laughs> yeah. Is so, and that's the binding. That's the bind them, cast them out. Um, and as we do these things, as, as I've prayed, so in Maine, and my point to answer your question about Maine was the way the lady did it was more generalized, right? She wasn't specific about each demon. Mm. She wasn't specific about each spirit, but she genuinely, she generally helped me bind spirits. She generally helped me to start to be aware of the spiritual. So like what I learned from that was not every thought in my head is mine. Mm. Or another way I would put that is there's voices in my head. Yeah. One of those voices is my voice. One of those voices is the devil's voice. One of those voices is demonic spirits voices. One of those voices is the Holy Spirit. Mm. So it's very important to start to learn to discern the Holy Spirit and not be fooled, you know. Yeah. And that was another big part of my journey in Maine. And something I feel led to share on that is I remember being like, God, this is so scary because what if I'm deceived? What if I follow the wrong voice? You know, Mm. I want to listen to you. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient, but it's so scary because I don't want to do these. Like, I don't want to give ground to some demon, you know? Right. And I just remember him being so comforting to me as he's just like, Alex, do you think that I would allow something to deceive one of my children when their heart is purely to go towards and love me mm. and I was like wow that is so true I'm like as long and that comes the seek right it, it, and it's all that our heart stands so it's like no if you genuinely want to seek the Lord he's not going to let you be deceived you know yeah. he might let you stub your toe but I, right. he's going to get you <laughs> where you want to go like um and so I think spiritual cleaning, cleaning the cup, right? Cleaning the cup, I think is very much that type of process. You really got to step into it with a iterative. It's going to be little by little and you just got to trust the Lord. Like if you genuinely desire to be good, if you genuinely desire to be clean with the motives, the right motives in your heart, then God's going to be faithful in that. Mm. Um, Did that answer your question in a really long way? It's so good. <laughs> so good in, in the right way. Yeah. Wow. I I just, I want to extend my gratitude to you and, and gratefulness for you sharing everything you did. So much of this I can relate to. If we have experienced this, I, I know everyone has because it truly is a spiritual warfare, but 
what oh, yeah. brings me the most comfort is knowing the end is written and and he's we're fighting a battle he's already won so mm-hmm. it's like why am i fighting this <laughs> but and we can have those questions in our mind uh, but we hold on to the truth and the truth is his word and we know he's already mm-hmm. won and so with this is just so short temporary intermittent until we get to be with him forever and then free from all of it we're totally out of all the spiritual world yep. but amen now, can't wait <laughs> yeah, i know i know like that's gonna be the most amazing <laughs> oh thank you so much and to add a little on what you said that's so important is the battle's already won remember uh satan was defeated and the resurrection, right? Like we just this past Sunday celebrated Satan's defeat is, and the reason that's so significant is because when I talk about spiritual warfare with people, the most common response is that's so scary. But as a Christian, um, we must not let that be our response because it's not scary. The devil has been defeated. We have authority over him. Like, he he's a defeated foe you know all he can do is act big and act scary but he really has no power to do anything to us except what we allow to be done to us by him yeah and and what we dwell on and i think when we dwell on that fear and and that's why scripture 365 times it's no accident says thou shall not fear in some form or another and i think it's because it's that important in every day that needs to be a part of our our dwelling our focus is don't fear. I've, I've got this. Yeah. yeah. I already, That's already, our faith. You know, <laughs> that is our faith. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so, so much. This is so powerful. And I cannot wait to just share it and know that lives will be forever transformed and changed because of your willingness to share and stepping out into that and courage and, and being real and being very raw because these aren't easy things to talk about. Uh, but they're important things to talk about. Oh, so. yeah. Amen. Thank and you. it's the least I can do. I mean, he saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> he made me, Literally. I told somebody <laughs> the difference. The difference is so simple. I never used to be able to look in the mirror and say, I respect the man that I see. And, but now I can. And that's only because of God. Wow. And know that I'm a good person, you know, not good. I don't want to say good. Know that I'm somebody going, going in the right direction. You yeah. Know? And who I used to look and I used to be like, you know what? Other people see that this is good, but I'm a piece of garbage. Mm. Yeah. And to see his love when you look in your own eyes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You just see, you can, you can see him in yourself, you know, it's, yeah, it's just rocks my world. Like I still can't even express it, how amazing it is. So good. So good. Any, anything else you'd want to share or feel like is, is on your mind to let people know? Um, quick prayer. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I think we, you know, we, we hit what was, what was needed, but yeah, definitely a closing prayer. But other than that, I think good. What about you? Any other questions or anything? No, I mean, maybe like later we can do a follow-up. I think maybe for the sake of time and people's ability to listen and really get all this today. Yeah, sounds good. We're good, but definitely maybe a follow-up. So we'll, we'll plan for that. Yeah, sounds good.
And cool. In that case, you mind if I close this in prayer? Oh, I'd love it. Be honored. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your protection. We thank you for your provision, Lord. We thank you that every day as you feed our body, you also feed our spirit and our soul through your word, Lord. I pray for every single person who has listened to any part of this video and especially anybody who's made it from beginning to end, Lord. I pray that you would help them to overcome the enemy in their life, Lord, that whatever stronghold the enemy has placed in their life, uh, that you would come against it with your heavenly host and your, your just army of angels, Lord, and that you would send laborers into their life to be next to them, to stand next to them in faith, to encourage them and to support them every step of the way as they clean their vessel out, Lord, that they take all the taint out, that all the destruction, all the trauma, all the wounds that the enemy has placed inside them, Lord, that you would not only remove them, but you would then fill them with your Holy Spirit, great giftings and anointings onto their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's amazing.